This is Shine On, the Health and Happiness Show, and Ella's Leash Production. Heard as a podcast around the world, but heard first on radio stations 100.7 WHUD-FM and Real Country 920, 1260, and 1420 AM, all in New York's Hudson Valley. Shine On, bringing you healers and dreamers and people who want to make life richer. It's your time to shine on. it's Casey shining on with your health and happiness. Thank you for tuning in today. I've taken care of all the gifts on your holiday list. No decisions for you to make this year. Just give everybody toilet paper. Really special, really smart toilet paper that helps people all over the world. Okay, details coming up. And stay right here for the best advice I've ever heard for anyone on how to treat kids. Now, should you be feeling a little broken today, you may be just the vessel the master is looking for some very special words to close our show in a little while but first remember these words loved trusted supported and capable when you're talking to kids think about how you can make them feel those things loved trusted supported and capable that's the best advice i've ever read and i found it in the book the self-driven child by William Stixrud, Ph.D. It is. And, you know, from our point of view, parenting is hard. You know, I, I once tested the kid of a, of a humorist who said, raising children should, should really be called lowering parent. You know, it's, it's just it's challenging. <laughs> but yet we, we think the most important thing that we can do for our kids is to enjoy them and, and, and to love them and support them and, and to trust that they want their life to work and that we support them in developing, creating the life that they want. I, I love that line at the end of the book uh, that you just you just quoted, uh, and that's exactly what we want. The right. kids will remember how, how they felt with us. Yes, they'll remember how you made them feel. So love, trusted, supported, capable. Put that right on the refrigerator. All right, what do we say for yeah. parents who are trying to control their children? It's misguided. It's out of love, and it's out of belief that this is what I'm supposed to do as a parent to make my kids successful. It's just that. It usually doesn't work very well because when kids feel controlled, it's very stressful. In fact, a low sense of control is probably the most stressful thing we can experience. And also, kids, all this research on motivation indicates that kids don't become self-motivated unless they have some sense of control or autonomy over their own life. And we want kids, we want kids to have as much decision-making, as much choice about their own life. We want them to solve their own problems as much as we can, because that's what builds self-driven, self-motivated, resilient kids. A low sense of control. Kids not having control is stressful for them? Yeah, yeah. We think about there's four things that make life stressful, according to stress scientists. New situations, unfamiliar, unpredictable situations, things that are threatening, and a low sense of control. And many think it's that low sense of control that's the most stressful. And you think about situations as a parent, you, you, you got a sick kid, and you don't know what's wrong, and you aren't sure what to do about it, or, or doctors are not sure what to do. There's probably nothing more stressful than something happening, and you, you don't know what to do about it. With kids, that, that a low sense of control manifests in feeling controlled, 
feeling stifled, or it could be for feeling overwhelmed, or feeling helpless, or feeling just kind of resigned. Many, many uh, high-achieving kids hate their life, but just feel kind of resigned to it, They're like they don't have any control over it. Right, they just have to follow this path. This is what they said I have to do. All right, the self-driven right. child, the science and sense of giving your kids more control over their lives. So there's a lot of parents, especially today, who do their kids' homework and write their kids' college essays and keep their kids' uh, social calendars booked up and here's your, you know, bag for this class and for that class. They have them all prepared, yeah, yeah. right? They're go bags. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, wha- right. and, these, and these parents, they love their kids and they think they're doing right. Why is that wrong? Absolutely. Well, we think that the best, the most important thing for a kid to learn is who's responsible for what. And we, we, we think that having a clear sense of who's responsible for what is more important than a kid always doing well. And what, what I see in my own work with a lot of kids with ADHD who don't, don't turn in their work, and I say, who's most upset if you don't turn in an assignment? And they always say, my mom, then my dad, then my teacher, they're never on the list. And there's something wrong with that picture. I, we, want, we want kids to feel that this is my life, and I'm going to get out of what I put, put, put into it. So we, 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 we don't say to parents, just let your kid fail. We say, let your kid know that I want to help you in any way I can. I want to support you in any way I can. But I don't want to take responsibility for something that's yours, because all weaken you. You'll have the sense that somebody other than you, other than you, is ultimately responsible. So, in our view, if we if we could do a kid's homework, that we weaken them. And I think that what we suggest is parents take themselves as consultants to, to their kids in as many aspects of life as possible, as opposed to the boss or the manager, but somebody who is there to be a guide and help kids figure out what's right for them, what works for them. And in the long run, we find that this is very effective in producing kids who are self-motivated responsible, and creating a life that they want. But then you meet the parents whose own sense of self-worth is all wrapped up in the kid's achievement. So it's hard for them to just be the consultant if they really want their kid to succeed. You know, we have this tremendous mental health crisis on college campuses, and many of the elite universities, more than half the kids seek help in mental health center. A huge percentage have suicidal kind of thinking, and there's something wrong with this picture. And the idea that the way to become successful, the only way to become successful is to always be a top student. We'll drive kids as hard as we need to to make that happen. It doesn't work. It doesn't work because, in part, because it, it, it just kids are much more likely to become anxious, become depressed. And we see so many kids on this really fast track with, with, with parents who are driving them to be successful who become depressed or develop an eating disorder. And it just changes the course of their life in a way that we just don't want. Yeah. And I walk this walk raising my own kids, and both of them who got PhDs and didn't have any kind of particular academic pressure at all. And we, we just find it time after time, if we trust kids, support them in, in, in developing a life that they want, that, that they rise to challenges and that they do cool stuff. What should the home base be like? What kind of home should we make for our kids? There's a chapter in our book called The Non-Anxious Presence. And what it means is that families and organiz- any kind of organization, they work better if the people in charge aren't, aren't highly anxious and emotionally reactive. And we ask parents to think about themselves and kind of moving in the direction of being a non-anxious presence in the family so that life is stressful enough. And if kids' life in school and the social life, social media makes life stressful for kids, if they come home and there's a lot of pressure, a lot of arguing, a lot of fighting, what about this, what about that? That, 
that it just makes kids hard. It just makes them harder to, for them to recover. We want kids to have some stressful experiences, but we want them to be able to have time to, to, to unwind and recover. And so we want home as much as possible to be that safe place, that non-stressful place where parents can come home to and kids can come home to and not have it be filled with, with, with stress and tension right. because it just has a very bad effect on the brain. The Self-Driven Child. Parents read this book by Bill William Sticksrude, Ph.D. I just want you to give us one piece of advice for young people, kids, who grew up in a house that was anxious and reactive. What can these kids do? Take good care of themselves. Really near the top of our list is learn to meditate, exercise, and be vigilant about getting enough sleep. That when you sleep well, it strengthens the connections between the part of your brain that puts things in perspective and the part of your brain that generates stress. When you meditate, the same things happens. When you exercise, the same thing happens. If you, you have still have a lot of anxiety or unhappiness, work with a good cognitive behavioral therapist. The Self-Driven Child is the book by William Sticksrud, Ph.D. Find more at theselfdrivenchild.com. Hi, it's Casey shining on with you, and big thanks to everybody who came out to the Mount Pleasant Library last week. It was so fun to share a shine on talk with you, and I hope to do more of those soon. Casey.co, K-A-C-E-Y.co will keep you up to date. Now, let's get to the bottom of things. There is a toilet paper made from recycled material that helps bring sanitary comforts to people all over the world. Danny Alexander from New Jersey is one of the great minds at the top of the bottom business, and he's here to tell us the story of how Who Gives a Crap Toilet Paper was born. Oh boy. Uh, Well, I ran into my co-founder who had this great idea for a toilet paper company that gives half of its profits back to helping build toilets. And I have a background in sanitation. I'm a designer, but I worked in uh, international development and um, fell in love with toilets. And so it just seemed perfect for me and uh, never would have imagined it. But but here I am about five years later, a toilet paper mogul, I guess you could say. I guess you could. And in over 500 Shine On shows, no one's ever said, I fell in love with toilets. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm, uh, I'm not the only one out there, but, uh, but I don't think it's a common topic of dinner, dinner table conversation. Right. You don't have your own Facebook group, you know, a private Facebook group of uh, people who love, <laughs> fell in love with toilets. But, but I know there's a great story behind it. So tell me, how did you come to fall in love with toilets? I was working as a designer, like I mentioned, around the world, basically using design as a tool to solve poverty alleviation and worked a little bit on building tools for farmers and improving financial services. And one particular project in Ghana was to design an in-home sanitation service for the urban poor. So trying to bring toilets into the home for people who have um, have never had it. And on that project, I realized that toilets are something that I had always taken for granted, as I think many of us do as well as being just a fascinating topic. So there's all sorts of interesting things to cover from infrastructure and how hard it is to build infrastructure and politics. And of course, there's corruption and all sorts of things to add to the drama. But then there's also biology and chemistry and, and design and taboo. And uh, so it's just a, a fascinating area that is rarely talked about. But the more you get into it, the more you realize how fascinating it is. I would imagine so. I mean, I think probably in some instances you were trying to design systems for people who had very little running water, right? Yeah, no running water, no electricity. Most people don't own their homes or their properties, so it's hard for them to build permanent things. And of course, very, very low income areas. About 40% of the world today still doesn't have access to a toilet. So that's what we're hoping to address. About 40% of the humans on the planet. 40% of the humans on the planet don't have access to a toilet? 
Yep. Think about that next time you're uh, you're sitting down. <laughs> it's, wow. uh, it's It's hard to believe, but I think the latest statistic is about 2.3 billion people don't have access to a toilet. And we're talking about the most basic toilets, you know, not even the kind of fancy water flush toilets that we're used to here in here in the New York area. But we're talking about just basic toilets where where someone can go with privacy and capture their waste in a safe and secure manner. So it creates all sorts of health problems and economic problems. And, you know, all those are very important and massive challenges for the world. But uh, I'm also keen to promote the idea of dignity as well. And you can probably imagine, although it is hard to imagine what life is like without a toilet, but it is it is such a gift to be able to help someone have access to a toilet. And so we're really excited to be part of that mission. Now, enter your colleague who says, listen, I have this great idea about toilet paper. Yeah, exactly. It, it actually did happen pretty much like that. Um, he had been running a few businesses on the side. He ran a nonprofit bar in Melbourne, in Australia. He ran a, a nonprofit search engine. So he was a serial entrepreneur, as was I. Neither one of us had, had found a business that really worked. But we ended up meeting after he had this idea. My background in sanitation, as well as design, and uh, my passion for starting businesses led us to um, join forces and start it together. So that was Simon, my, my co-founder, and myself. And then we had a third co-founder, Jehan, who helped us get it off the ground. And so we started selling products about five years ago and doubling or tripling in size every year since. We've given about $1.3 million to charity, a little bit over that, and we're hoping to double that every year. So yeah, it's been a, a pretty wild ride. And if you had told me 10 years ago that I'd be in the toilet paper business, I would have thought you were crazy, but, but I love it. Good, good. I mean, you know, you sound very excited about it. <laughs> uh, and, and it's wonderful. Over over $1.3 million you've given to charity, and you've only been around for five years with this company. So who gives a crap? First of all, who's going to take credit for the name? You or Simon? I, I wish I could take credit, but it was Simon, my, my co-founder. Okay, so Simon says, we're going to have this toilet paper business, and we're going to call it Who Gives a Crap? And what is this toilet paper made from that makes it so special? Yeah, so um, we were basically trying to solve several problems uh, when we started the business. One, of course, was the sanitation problem. A second one was uh, we realized that over 99% of the world at the time used trees to, to wipe their bums. And so you can just imagine, I mean, forget all of the bedded energy and the water used and everything like that. It's just it, it just doesn't make sense to cut down a tree for such a basic purpose. And so part of our initial mission was also to increase the market share of environmentally friendly toilet paper options. And so all of our toilet paper is made with either recycled paper, so old office papers or school books, or bamboo. We have a premium line of bamboo toilet paper as well. So, so we're trying to solve both the environmental and the social problems there. And the way we try to do that is by delivering uh, an absolutely delightful, affordable, convenient experience. And so all of our packaging is designed by incredible designers, and we do limited editions um, a few times a year where the packaging is designed by a new designer. The, the paper is as good as anything you're going to get in stores and, you know, does better for the planet and is cheaper per, per sheet than pretty much anyone else out there. So we, we try to make it so that there's no reason not to buy us is, is our goal. I get it. We're talking to Daniel Alexander, one of the great minds behind Who Gives a Crap, a new toilet paper industry. So when I recycle 
my paper. It could end up as your toilet paper? Theoretically, yes. Although most of our toilet paper, uh, most of the paper resources um, is from close to the factory. So, um, so it's probably not going to happen. But um, I think the beauty of recycling is that in general, you never really know what it's going to become. And um, there's all sorts of people doing all sorts of creative things with, uh, with recycled plastics and papers now. And so, um, so, yeah, it's a pretty cool time to be working in that field. Where is your factory? We have four factories around China. So we produce in China and ship to the States. And we have a whole team on the ground in China making sure that everything is produced in accordance with, with our high standards, both in terms of the environmental qualities as well as the, uh, the ethical qualities as well, of course. And somebody's going to say, well, why aren't you doing this in the U.S.? Yeah, I, I, and I, I support that. I mean, we hope to be able to produce locally at some point in the future. The reality is, in the short term, we're still pretty small in the U.S. Most of our market share is overseas. So as we grow, we'll, we'll be able to get manufacturers to take us a little bit more seriously. So, you know, we're still working on that here in the state. So if there are any manufacturers of toilet paper listening, give me a call. But be, beyond that, we also, one of the challenges of producing domestically that I don't think many people talk about is that a lot of production domestically really isn't a labor-intensive process anymore. It's not a manual process. It's very much an automated process. And so one of our core beliefs is in trying to give people good jobs. And so if, if we can give a person a good job, whether they're here or overseas, we'd rather do that than give a robot a job. And unfortunately, the reality of most, most production here in the States and most paper production, as we understand it, is that heavily automated. And so yeah, it's, it's a challenging decision to, to be making as a, as a business leader, but we believe that giving jobs overseas is better than giving jobs to a robot. Okay, I gotcha. Private company, right? Private company, yep. Do you ever hope to go public? Potentially someday. I think there's, you know, for, for us, the challenge with going public or selling out to a big company is making sure that the values of the brand stay intact. And so we are always think, considering what the, the most efficient and effective ways to scale our impact are. If, if it came to a point where we thought that we could go public and maintain our donation model and scale at an even faster pace, then we'd be all for it. But right now we're, we're about 50 employees. We are doubling that pretty much every year as well. And so um, we think we can continue growing as fast as we have been growing without needing to raise money. Okay. Danny Alexander, who gives a crap? You give over uh, $1.3 million. You have given over $1.3 million so far to charity from your toilet paper making business. Tell us about the charities. Yeah, so we support currently about five or six different charities. We started with an organization called WaterAid, which is a big international NGO. They uh, work in dozens of countries around the world providing water and sanitation services of all sorts. Over the years, we've given most of our donations to them since they, we've, we've been with them the longest. But we've started to also donate to smaller, in, innovative startups working in the sanitation space. So another one is called Sanergy, which works in Nairobi, Kenya, and they basically created a group group of entrepreneurs who are starting uh, toilet businesses, um, and they collect the waste from those toilets and are actually turning it into fertilizer and other things that they can sell. So Sanergy is another example, and then there are a few others in Kenya called Lawala Community Alliance and Shining Up for Communities, and one more in Cambodia called Watershed. I think I covered it all, but we are always on the lookout for new organizations doing great work in the sanitation space. We're just really excited to be part of part of their mission and um, supporting the work that they do. Right. So when we buy who gives, gives a crap toilet paper, we know that you actually give a crap and you're helping out uh, people, it sounds like the poorest of the poor. Am I right about that? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think we tend not to use those words because I think it, it creates an image in people's minds of what, what people are grappling with. It's generally people, as you can imagine, people who can't afford to have uh, have toilet access in their homes or, or easy toilet access in their communities. So it runs it runs the gamut in terms of location. So we've supported projects in here in, in the Americas, in Colombia, and in Asia, in places like Cambodia, Papua New Guinea, and East Timor, uh, all over the world. We're, we're trying to bring toilets to people. You know, we just try to be careful with the way we say things. Like, we, we, we never say third world or, or things like that, just because there's a lot of people who have very a lot of sensitivities around things like that. So we're always trying to be respectful of the, the people and communities we serve. So, Danny Alexander, where are you advertising this wonderful product of yours? Yeah, so we um, we sell primarily online on our website, so whogivesacrap.org, and we um, we do some online advertising, but we, we actually pride ourselves on the fact that most of our growth has been word of mouth, which when we started the business a few years ago, we created toilet paper brands that people would want to talk about and give as gifts to their visitors, to their homes, or housewarming gifts. People thought we were crazy, and to be honest, I think we thought we were a little crazy, but the reality is that most of our growth does come from from word of mouth. And so we've been really lucky to, to create a product and a brand that people get excited about and want to talk about. So, you know, everybody on your holiday wish list, just get them some toilet paper. Educate <laughs> you, them. I, I, yeah, I think that's uh, it, it. It comes across as a joke in some ways because when I, we when we first decided to do a holiday edition a few years ago, it was kind of a joke. We just took our normal packaging and uh, put some holiday colors on it, and we sold out of it within a day. And we realized we had something uh, crazy on our hands. And so every year since we've done a holiday edition, we're launching our holiday edition in a couple of days. Actually, it's actually a, a huge driver of sales for us because um, people do want to give gifts that are meaningful and that have uh, a, you know something delightful in them, but also something something good for the world in them. So um, so we have thousands or tens or hundreds of thousands of customers around the world who are uh, giving giving toilet paper as gifts for Christmas and, and the holidays. And so uh, I, I do encourage everyone listening to uh, to give toilet paper to, to your loved ones. And we're not going to find this on Amazon, right? We have to go to whogivesacrap.org. Yeah, for now it's whogivesacrap.org. Amazon, we'll, we'll see. Some, maybe someday in the future. But right now, whogivesacrap.org is your best bet. That's Danny Alexander from Who Gives crap.toiletpaper.org. Toilet paper that builds toilets. I'm giving it to everybody this holiday season. You're going to see it in your stocking and know exactly what it is. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you for shining on today. So over the weekend, I had my first program for women who have been sexually or physically assaulted. We talked about a lot of things and we gave each woman present the opportunity to share their story with just one other woman in the room. And it was scary. And I think we were all looking for excuses not to show up. And I think all of us were happy we did show up in the end. We did this at the Mariandale Retreat Center in Ossining. And if people are interested, I could do it again. Or I could come to maybe where you are and do it for you there. Or help you organize your own. Happy to. Just reach out at Casey.co. K-A-C-E-Y dot C-O. And we wrapped up the event on Sunday with a couple of poems, including this one, and I think I'll use it today as our thought for the day, author unknown, The Master's Vessel. And yes, I'll post it for you up at Casey.co. The master was searching for a vessel to use. On the shelf there were many. Which one would he choose? Take me, cried the gold one. I'm shiny and bright. I'm of great value, and I do things just right. My beauty and luster will outshine the rest. And for someone like you, Master, gold would be best. The Master passed on with no word at all. He looked at a silver urn, narrow and tall. I'll serve you, dear Master. I'll pour out your wine, and I'll be at your table whenever you dine. 
My lines are so graceful, my carvings so true, and my silver will always compliment you. Unheeding, the master passed on to the brass. It was wide-mouthed and shallow and polished like glass. Hear, hear, cried the vessel. I know I will do. Place me on your table for all men to view. Look at me, called the goblet of crystal so clear. My transparency shows my contents so dear. Though fragile am I, I will serve you with pride, and I'm sure I'll be happy in your house to abide. The master came next to a vessel of wood, polished and carved. It solidly stood. You may use me, dear master, the wooden bowl said, but I'd rather you used me for fruit, not for bread. Then the master looked down and saw a vessel of clay. Empty and broken, it helplessly lay. No hope had the vessel that the master might choose to cleanse and make whole, to fill and to use. Ah, this is the vessel I've been hoping to find. I will mend it and use it and make it all mine. I need not the vessel with pride of itself, nor the one who is narrow to sit on the shelf, nor the one who is big-mouthed and shallow and loud, nor one who displays his contents so proud, nor the one who thinks he can do all things just right, but this plain, earthly vessel, filled with my power and might. Then gently he lifted the vessel of clay, mended and cleansed it, and filled it that day, spoke to it kindly, There's work you must do. Just pour out to others as I pour into you. Shine on. You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show for your entertainment only. Heard Sunday mornings on 100.7 WHUD and on Real Country's 920, 1260, and 1420 AM, all in New York's Hudson Valley. Subscribe to Shine On on iTunes and SoundCloud and catch a show anytime at Casey.co. That's K-A-C-E-Y dot C-O. Shine On.